Okay, this, this session is going to be from uh, John chapter 16. <clears throat> and I first taught this in this series that I've entitled The Christian Survival Kit, talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, since then I've developed this into a three-part album entitled The Positive Ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's re- this is one of the greatest revelations I think that God has ever given me. Not everybody appreciates this. It seems like most people don't get what I'm saying. And so I feel like I'd never have communicated this real well. But I say all this just to say that if you'll open up your heart and listen to this, this has the potential of really impacting you and changing the way you think and receive from God. So in chapter 16, verse 1, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. This is the reason he spoke all of these things to his disciples the night before his crucifixion was so that they wouldn't be offended. Mark chapter 4 says when afflictions and persecutions come, immediately they are offended. And so when you take offense is when the Word of God ceases to uh, grow and produce in your life. And so anyway, a lot could be said about that. I've already mentioned this verse before, but that's powerful. That summarizes all of John 14, 15, and 16. In verse 2 it says, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. You know, I've been there. I've had people threaten to kill me in the name of Jesus. I've got people that said that if I ever stepped on their property, they'd kill me, and they thought that they were doing it for the gospel's sake. In verse 3 it says, And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them, And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. The word expedient means to your advantage. It's better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Man, we could spend all night talking about that. That is amazing how most of us don't fully appreciate this. But did you know having the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is better than having Jesus in His physical body present with you? That is a mouthful. Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage for me to go away and send the Holy Spirit. Most of us don't think that. Most of us, if we could see and touch Jesus in His physical body, body or his glorified body, most of us would say, wouldn't that be awesome? We would love to have that. Jesus is saying it's actually better to have the Holy Spirit in you than to have me with you. If you don't feel that way, that's not a criticism of what Jesus said. It just shows how little we fully understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how little we take advantage of it. Boy, that is great. And again, we could minister on that forever. But then look at what he said about the Holy Spirit in verse 8. It says, and when He's come, the Holy Spirit, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This tells you three things that the Holy Spirit is going to do when He comes. He's going to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. First of all, let me tell you how this is typically interpreted. Here's the way that religion, this is the way that I heard it all of my life, that what this means is, is that when you sin, the Holy Spirit is going to point 
your sin out to you and say, you've committed adultery, you've lied, you've stolen, you're a homosexual, homosexual, and the Holy Spirit is the one that gives you this sense of guilt and condemnation. He's the one that's bringing that to you. And because you've sinned, He's going to tell you that now you're unrighteous and you've got to repent. And unless you repent, you can't be in right standing, righteousness with God. And if you don't do this, the judgment of God's going to come upon you. God's going to show you your sin, make you feel bad about it, tell you that you're unrighteous. And unless you repent, the judgment of God's coming on you. And basically, that's what most people have thought the ministry of the Holy Spirit is. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Some of you are looking like, who would say something like that? 99.9% of all religion. That's exactly what's taught. I bet you every one of you have heard somebody pray when they're praying for somebody and they'll say, Oh, God, just sick them. Loose the Holy Spirit upon them. Make them miserable so that they can't enjoy anything. And we believe that that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit When we hear this terminology, he convicts of sin. What we think of is he's going to show you where you go wrong. Let me just ask you this. If I was to follow you around, if I was what most people consider the Holy Spirit to be, and if I went home with you and lived with you 24 hours a day, and my job was to tell you everything that you're doing wrong, and to tell you that because you've done this, you aren't in right standing with God, and if you don't repent, God's going to get on your case. Did you know you wouldn't like me very long? You would not? That's right. That is so true. Five different times in these passages he's called the comforter. That's the description of his name. I mean of his ministry. He's a comforter. That's not a comforter. That's an afflictor. And basically this is what the church has been preaching. That the Holy Spirit is the afflictor. He's the source of your guilt. The source of your condemnation that the Holy Spirit's going to show you all the things that you're wrong. That's not what these verses are saying. And the Lord knew that people were going to misinterpret this, and so He explains Himself in the next three verses. He explains all three of these areas. In verse 9, He says of sin, here's the sin that He's going to convict you of, is that you don't believe on Me. Here's some radical statements. I'm going to say some things. This is going to really, you know, I don't, usually say anything radical, but this will be radical, amen. You'll have, to, you'll have to pay attention to be able to get this. But the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of homosexuality and of lying and adultery and stealing and drunkenness and murder. That's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict you of those things. He doesn't convict you of sins, plural. He convicts you of a singular sin, one sin, which is not believing on Jesus. Now there's a couple of applications you can make of this. I believe that Jesus paid for the sins of the entire world. 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 says that He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the sins of the whole world have been paid for. Did you know that really people being homosexuals, liars, stealers, murderers is not the issue? All of those sins have been paid for. The sins of the whole world. It didn't just say the sins of the believer, but the sins of the whole world have been paid for. So sin's really not an issue. And there's many scriptures that go along with this. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. It also says that... Um, I just lost that. I was thinking of a scripture. It was really good. 
But anyway, the, the same principle is made many places in different scriptures that Jesus is not out to convict you of individual sins. He's already paid for all of these sins. Sin is not an issue. Here's the scripture I was thinking of, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their sins unto them. That's how Jesus ministered to people. He didn't go to the adulteress and start talking to her about her adultery. He he took the woman in the very act of adultery and extended mercy to her. Now, she had to respond in faith. It's not like he just says sin's not a problem, but he's saying, you're forgiven. Will you accept it? Go and sin no more. Jesus was not dealing with people according to their sins. Jesus has paid for the sins of the whole world. Yes, ma'am. I can share something. When I was a little girl, I was seven when I was born again. But yet, because I was only seven, I was brought up in Church. And so the Holy Spirit was always helping me and guiding me and giving me clarity on what was going on, the wrong teachings and the false doctrines. And so to appease them, the Catholic churches, we had to go to a confidential, we had to go to a confessional booth and confess your sins. And so uh, I knew that I wasn't disobeying my mama or lying or stealing or anything. So I used to have to go to appease the wrong teaching and the false doctrines. I'd have to go in and say sins. So I'd have to actually lie that I was, and I'd mix them up to not confuse the priest that I was sinning. I'd have to mix them up once a week so he wouldn't be on me. So I'd say, well, I lied twice and I disobeyed my mama and I stole something. So the next week I'd say, well, now this week I sinned once by not listening to the teacher and taking something that was, because that's what they used to teach you. But see, God has already forgiven all sins. And so if a person goes to hell, they aren't going to go to hell because they stole or because they lied because those sins have been paid for. The only sin that will send a person to hell is rejection of Jesus as your Savior. Jesus paid for your whole sins. So sins really aren't the issue. It comes down to what are you doing with Jesus? And this ought to be the message that we present. And instead, the church is out there often preaching that God is angry if you've committed this and if you've done this and we are Holy Spirit policemen going around convicting the world and we have presented this image to the world that the Holy Spirit is here to show you everything that's wrong in your life. You know, if a person goes into a mental ward, I don't know if any of you have ever been into a mental ward, into a mental hospital. I've been to Pueblo down here and prayed with people and they hate Christians coming in here and they often put lots of restrictions on you and you have to nearly get a order of Congress to get in there. And it's because they identify religion as the source of condemnation. That's what drives most people to insanity is their sense of guilt and they've failed God. And the first thing they will do is take a Bible away from them. They will refuse to have Christians come in and visit them because a Christian is going to come in and start condemning them and saying it's because of your sin and things like this. And they've rightly diagnosed that guilt is at the root of a lot of mental disorders And they see the church as the source of all condemnation. And that's because of misunderstanding like this. People think that the Holy Spirit is sent to condemn you over your sin and point out all of these individual sins. The Holy Spirit is sent to basically just tell you, hey, it just all comes down to Jesus. It's actually a positive ministry instead of a negative ministry. Instead of a condemning ministry of you've done this and this and this and God's angry at you. Instead, it's Jesus has paid for all of your sins. 
Now, are you going to accept Jesus? It all comes down to, are you believing on Jesus? And that ought to be the way that we present it to the ungodly. And the only reason that you even have to bring up standards of right and wrong is if a person is in deception, thinking that, you know what, I'm a good person. I'm better than most people, and I just don't believe I need a Savior. God's going to accept me because of my own goodness. Then you whoop the law out. To say, you think you're good? Look at the standard that God gave and you show them their sin to show them their worthiness to be judged. But as soon as they come to that place, it's not about their individual sins because they've been paid for. It's just a matter of, have you accepted Jesus? If you accept Jesus, you get in because of what Jesus does, not because of what you've done. So that's true when it comes to the initial salvation. But it's also true even after you're born again. The Holy Spirit isn't sent to nail you every time you sin. It all comes down to, are you believing on Jesus? And you're going to have to put forth a little effort to follow me here. Most people don't think this way. But did you know what's really wrong with homosexuality? The church, in an effort to show that homosexuality is wrong and to get people to turn against it, you know what the church will typically do is start talking about the destructive forces of homosexuality. And they'll quote things like, uh, you know, that the death rate among homosexuals is like two, three, four times what it is in the general public. That you expose yourself to AIDS. And they will talk about the health risks. They'll talk about the emotional uh, things. They'll talk about families. They'll talk about all of these kind of things. And they, they will use these negatives to say this is why it's wrong. But that's really not correct. That is not the right take on it. That's not the way that the Holy Spirit convicts people. Because, let's say that you were just talking about, you know, if, if you're a drug user, you know, it's just a matter of time until you either blow your brains or you waste your money or you destroy your career and it, you're going to destroy your home. If you're talking about alcoholism, you say you're going to get cirrhosis of the liver, it's going to eventually kill you. You could uh, drive and kill somebody else. If you're talking about all of these physical consequences and if that's what you're using to motivate people to turn from sin, then what would happen if they came up with a cure for AIDS? That would remove one of the main reasons not to be a homosexual. What if they came up with a cure for all kinds of depression and suicide so that you could just give a pill and it would be impossible for a person to do this? What if you remove these physical things? What if they made all cars so that they had breathalyzers? It would be impossible to kill a person while you're drunk. What if there was no longer any problem with dope and you could get high and have all the benefits and yet they give you some blocker that never do any damage to your mind and you could function. What if somehow or another they came out with a way that dealt with all these physical things? According to the way the church is preaching sin and the reason not to live in sin, then you know what? Sin would no longer be a problem because now it wouldn't cause all of these negative effects. You'd have something that could deal with it. But see, it would still be wrong because... The thing that's wrong with homosexuality isn't just the AIDS and the suicide and the emotional problems and all of these things. You know what the bottom line, if you just traced every sin, it's like if you were looking at a plant and if you traced them all back to their root, they have one common root. Here's the root of every sin. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the fact that you aren't believing on Jesus. You aren't trusting Jesus. You aren't in relationship with Jesus. Jesus said that he made them Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. There is an intuitive desire on the inside. Every person has a sexual drive. Now, it's been perverted and abused 
and all kinds of things. I'm not saying that everything that every person feels is right, but every person has a sexual drive. God put it there, and for a person to be a homosexual, you are rebelling at the very core of your being at everything that God is leading you to do. And the problem with homosexuality is that you are perverting. You aren't following the instructions that God gave, but you are leaning under your own understanding. It's about you aren't trusting in Jesus. You know what's wrong with dope? is isn't just the fact that it's expensive, that it could destroy your health, that you could do all this damage, that you're helping the drug cartel and all of the other things. But you know what's wrong with dope if you trace it back to its source? is The only reason people take dope is because they've got pressures and, and pains and hurts. And instead of turning to Jesus and letting Jesus deal with the hurt and the pain in their life, they're turning to a pill. And they're substituting a pill for the place that God is supposed to occupy in their life. Same thing with alcoholism. Same thing with sexual immorality. Instead of being satisfied with God and the person that God gave you, instead you are, in the, you are thinking that there's an emptiness and you're trying to fill it with all of this lust and this sexual stuff and all of these things instead of letting God be your source. Really, every sin comes right back to your personal relationship with God. And this is the way that the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit doesn't say, you've committed adultery. As a matter of fact, I can, I can show you a great scriptural example on this. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 12. This is where David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. In the 12th chapter is where Nathan came and explained this to him. And after uh, Nathan said this in 2 Samuel 12, 7, Nathan said unto David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Now listen, listen to God's heart as he's speaking through Nathan. Boy, if you'd listen to this, this, this would change your life if you could understand this. He says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And you've got to remember the story that David was the runt of the litter. There were seven kids. And they didn't even think enough of David to put his name in the hat. When Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint a new king, they left David out with the sheep because nobody would want David. He was a pretty boy. It says he was beautiful in his countenance and stuff. Nobody thought he was king material. They didn't even let him come before Samuel, and yet God stopped the whole procession and said, is this all of your children? And he says, well, I've got the youngest one out watching the sheep. And he says, nobody's sitting down until they bring him in. That probably was 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. And Samuel wouldn't let anybody sit down. They honored David and they brought him when nobody else even put his name in the hat as one of the contestants. God is saying, David, I exalted you when nobody else thought anything about you. I gave you this... I gave, uh, I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And if you're familiar with the story, tremendous things God did for him. In verse 8, And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. At first he only had the house of Judah, but God consolidated the kingdom under his control and stopped a civil war. And then if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Did you know Jesus, when he came on the scene in the 10th chapter of the book of Mark, they were asking about divorce. And they said, why did God allow you to put away your wife because of all these things? And he says, because of the hardness of people's hearts. He said, God never intended. God only made them male 
and female from the beginning of creation. He never intended multiple marriages. <clears throat> he never intended divorce and remarriage. And the point that he's making here is that this wasn't God's will. He allowed people to have divorce and remarriage and he allowed people to have multiple wives. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. took him over three and a half years to make the rounds if he had sex every night. That's unbelievable. And he was supposed to... He was supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived. That's just hard to figure. Why did God... And you know, it wasn't God's will for a man to have more than one wife, and yet he says, uh, David, I gave you your master's wives. David had 13 wives. And he said, if that would have been too little, I would have given you more. You know what David is saying... God is saying to David, David, it's not just the fact that you went and got another wife. He says, if you weren't satisfied, I'd have given you more wives if you'd have come to me. You know what all of this is saying? If you can listen to the heart of the Lord, what he's saying is, David, it's not what you did. It's not all of these things out here. It's the fact that you despised me. You, at one time, were so insignificant and so weak that you couldn't do anything without me and you were God dependent. But now that you're the king and now that everything is in control, over here in in chapter 11 where David committed adultery, it says at the time that kings went forth to battle. Well, David was the king, but he didn't go to battle. He stayed at home. You know what? He had become so prosperous, he didn't have to go out and fight anymore. He had people that could fight for him. He wasn't doing what he was anointed to do. The most dangerous time in your life is when you're so prosperous that you don't have to seek God anymore. Everything's working. Boy, that's a really dangerous time. And that's what happened to David. And it says he rose up off of his bed at even time. That's when most people are going to bed. He was getting up when most people were going to bed. He's been sleeping during the day. He was bored. He got so prosperous and so blessed that he lost his relationship and dependency upon God. That's what caused his sin. And that's what the Lord is talking about. In verse 9 he says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and thou hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house. And look at this. Because thou hast despised me and taken the wife of Uriah. Did you know most people... If you go out and commit sexual sin, if you fell into sin, did you know how most people would rationalize that? They'd say, I'm sorry, I really love God. It has nothing to do with my love for God. I just had a moment of weakness and I fell into this. And they would look at it again on a surface level. But you know what the root of adultery is? You don't love God. You have gotten where you love yourself and you have magnified and amplified and perverted the desires in your heart, and it's all about satisfying yourself, and you don't think about anything. You know, if you go out and have a sexual relationship with somebody besides your mate, you can whitewash it any way you want to, but I can guarantee you the driving force behind it is you are an absolutely self-centered, self-consumed person. If you loved other people, and if you loved God, you would never do anything like that. It would never happen. Just imagine if you were going to go into a prostitute and have sexual relations right before you get into bed. 
You just say, let's kneel and ask God to bless this. We want to glorify God. God, we want you to be glorified. Just imagine, you know, I've never done anything like that, but I would suspect that that would kind of kill the mood. I had a friend of mine, a pastor friend, who committed sexual sin and immorality as, as many as two or three prostitutes a day. And yet this guy was preaching and seeing people saved, healed, and delivered. And I just asked him, I said, I just do not understand how you do that. I said, I can't understand it. I said, if I, you know, even thinking about it, I would be so smitten, so convicted, thinking, God, I know that this isn't pleasing you. I would be thinking about this. And he says, when he got into those moods, he would get into pornography and start doing things. And it's just like he put blinders on. And he said, if I would have had one thought, if a fleeting thought would have even come across my mind about Jesus and what I was doing to him and whether he was pleased with this, he says, I couldn't have gone through. He says, I literally had to just put all thoughts like that out of my mind. And so, see, that's really the root of all iniquity and stuff. It just is the fact that you forget God. You don't care about God. You are amplifying your desires, your needs. You don't care about any body but yourself. If you love the person that you were having this adulterous affair with, you would never expose them to the guilt, the condemnation, the shame, the potential problem. You would never do this. A person that commits sexual sin, the Bible says it's just like a horse or a mule that has no understanding. You know, that ministers to me. Most of you may not have had horses and stuff, but boy, I guarantee you, if you ever get a stallion, (laughs) you get him around a mare when she's in heat, it is one of the scariest things I have ever seen in my life. 2,000 pounds of raw force, brute force, and it would kill, do anything. It is just hormone-driven. It is, it is the scariest thing to be riding a stallion in a situation like that. And you know what? When a person goes out and commits adultery, the Bible says you're like a horse or a mule that have no understanding. You're hormone-driven. It's really very descriptive. And see, that's the root of all sin. Again, let's, let's take another example. What would happen if your wife or if your lady, think about your husband, what would happen? Well, I have to use the analogy of your wife. <clears throat> what would you think if your wife went out and had a sexual relationship with somebody else? Well, most people would say, man, what's going to happen if you conceive? You know, you could get sexually transmitted diseases out of this, and they talk about all of the reasons that this is wrong and stuff, and you could have a child, and what's this going to do? You're going to either uh, destroy your marriage, you're going to bring up a child as a single parent, or, you know, we talk about all of the complications of all of this. But let's just say that a woman went out, had a sexual relationship, didn't get a sexually transmitted disease, didn't get pregnant, There were no of these physical consequences. Does that make it okay? No, because the root of what's wrong with that is that that means that you don't really love your husband. And it wouldn't matter if you contacted a disease through it. It wouldn't matter if you got pregnant. It wouldn't matter anything. And even if your husband didn't find out about it, did you know it would still be damaging because you aren't committed and separated 100% towards your husband. It would do damage to the relationship. It all comes down to relationship. Yes, there are complications beyond just relationship. Yes, if you're an alcoholic, you could have cirrhosis of the liver. Yes, it's going to make you poor. Yes, it's going to cause you to lose your job. It's going to destroy families. It's going to open you up to guilt and condemnation, and on and on you could go. But you know what the root of all alcoholism is? You are using a bottle 
to cope with your problems and to drown yourself in that stuff and to get away from your deal. And it really comes down to this one thing that you just aren't believing on Jesus. You aren't letting Jesus occupy that place. You're letting booze, you're letting drugs, you're letting sex occupy a place that God was meant to occupy in your life. You aren't satisfied with God and with the mate that God gave you. You've got to go outside of that. And that's what the Holy Spirit will convict you of. And if you understand this, it's actually a positive ministry. Instead of coming and saying, you're a homosexual, how dare you do this? God's angry at you and you're unrighteous. And if you don't repent, it's repent or else turn or burn. So that's a pretty negative, condemning thing. Instead, it'll be a positive ministry. The Lord will come to you and say, you know what? I love you so much. Why is it that you have to have all of these other things to satisfy you? Aren't I enough? Aren't I enough? Why don't you turn to me when you're depressed or discouraged instead of turning to a pill or turning to the bottle or turning to something else? It's all about relationship. And so this is a positive ministry. And notice the second thing. Uh, so we were reading out of Second Samuel, and this is what he was telling uh, David. Let me use one other example before I get back over there to John chapter 16. See, ch- parents do this with their children all of the time. We try and train our children to do the right thing. I remember when my kids, you know, took the car for the very first time. You, you trusted them. You know, there is no bill of rights that a child has to have a car by, you know, a certain age and that this is a God-given right and that they have to do this. A parent is bestowing a privilege. You are trusting your children. You're helping them to take responsibility. And I remember you let your kids take the car and if you tell them you're supposed to be home at 11... I can guarantee you it's going to be 11.05 when they pull in. And then if you let them get by with 11.05, it's going to be 11.10, it's going to be 11.15. They just keep pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. And with my own kids, and I've certainly seen this with other people, that you'll sit there and say, you know, you shouldn't be out late like this. I told you to be home at a certain time because, you know, it's when all of the weirdos come out at night. And if something would have happened, if you would have had a flat tire, if you would have run out of gas, if this would have happened, if this would have happened, something could have happened. And you know how the kids processing all of this? They think, what are the chances of me having a flat tire? You know, what's the chances of me running out of gas? It's not going to happen. Why are you worrying about this? And so they dismiss this as being really a non-issue and that you're just overly protective and stuff. But you know what the real problem, you know what really galls you if you tell your kids 11 o'clock and they come in at 11.05? You may not ever verbalize it, but the point is, I trusted you. I gave you something. It wasn't something I had to do. I've honored you. I've esteemed you. And you have taken my trust and you've not honored it. I said to be in at 11, and you come in five minutes later. You could have left. You could have honored that, but instead you were thinking about yourself. You're putting yourself ahead of your commitment to me, and that's what really bothers you. And so you may say things about running out of gas and and having a flat tire or this happening, but you know what the deal is, and very seldom do we deal with our kids on this level. The problem is I trusted you, and you just trampled my trust underfoot. You didn't care about me. You cared about yourself more. That's really the issue. And I think most of you, if you think about it, that's really what bothers you is when you trust somebody and they take advantage of your trust. You know, I'm not saying this for a selfish purpose, but I understood this when I was a kid. And my dad died when I was 12 years old. And my mother 
Man, she struggled raising us. And my brother was a hellion. He was in and out of jail and did all kinds of stuff and got in bunches of trouble. And my mother would stay up lots of nights and she'd just sit there. And I'd hear her crying, waiting, waiting on Ray to come in. And he'd come in at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. She'd never say a word to him. She'd just wait until he got home and wouldn't go to bed until he got home. And I saw those kind of things happen. And you know what? When I grew up, if my mother, I think my mother said I was supposed to be in it at uh, 11 or something like that. I never stayed out past 10.30 until after I got back from Vietnam. If my mother said 11, I'd come in at 10.30 just to honor her. I would not give her a moment's grief and stuff like that. And you know what? Because of that, boy, it ministered to my mother and blessed her. And I understood that this was an honor that she was doing, and I didn't want to cause my mother any grief. And see, that's, that's really the issue. And it's the way that it is with God. We sit there and say, well, God, I didn't really commit adultery. I was just looking at some pornographic things. That's like saying, well, I only came in at 11.05. I didn't really do any damage. Nothing happened. But it's the principle of the thing in your mind. You know what? You're already committing these things. You aren't trusting God. And people miss this. They don't deal with God on a heart level. They just have this rigid standard of... You, you know, you got to do this. They, they punch a clock and they study the Word for an hour, but the whole time they were wishing that they could be seeing their favorite show. You know what? God didn't have your heart. It didn't bless God. You may sit there and conform and do some things, but in your heart, God's dealing with you on a heart level. It's all about these heart issues. It's all about are you believing on Jesus? You could be praying an hour, but if you're praying so that you can feel satisfied that I'm doing everything and now God's got to move in my life. If you weren't truly in love and communion with the Lord, you were doing it as a religious ritual. It's a stink in His nostrils. It doesn't bless God. God deals with everything on a heart level. And when you get to a heart level, uh, if you get to relating to God and understand that He's going to deal with you based on the intents of your heart and what's going on in your heart, you won't ever have to worry about going out and committing the sin. You know, when I was in Vietnam, man, I had a relationship with God. I was so excited about God that it kept me from sin. It kept me from doing things that other people did. Because, see, a lot, there was a friend of mine. Matter of fact, this guy just contacted me a few months ago. We grew up together. We were best friends when we were kids. Went to the same church together. He saw me on television, and we're going to get together uh, in June for the first time in 30-something years. We went to Vietnam together. He sent me some pictures of me and him in Vietnam. Man, was I a young-looking guy in Vietnam. (laughs) And he sent me pictures of us in Vietnam together. But this guy, we were both raised in the same church. His parents were some of my best friends. I've known all of his family and everything. We had the same background. But you know what? I had a heart-level relationship with God. And when I was in Vietnam, it kept me from going into sin. This guy did everything that everybody else did. Went into the prostitutes, did the dope, did everything else and he's been messed up for 30 years. You know, a lot of what they call post-traumatic stress disorder and all of these things, uh, a lot of it is nothing but guilt. Because people on the other side of the world, the things that kept him living right when he was in the U.S. was the fact that, well, how's this going to look on his family? His family's going to punish him if he gets into trouble. The law might get him. Uh, He was a church guy and he would have had his friends. There would have been peer pressure and all of these things. But you know what? When you're in Vietnam, none of those things exist. Nobody's going to tell on you. Prostitute's not going to tell on you. 
Plus, most people are thinking, I'm going to die next week anyway. What difference does it make? And you know what? This guy, who is a friend of mine, and would have never acted this way in the world, became like an animal over in Vietnam because of all of these physical things. It wasn't about personal relationship. But in contrast (coughs) to that, Joseph was in a position where he was taken away from his family. It wouldn't be a reflection on his family. The master's wife tried to entice him. Nobody was going to squeal on him. The master's wife wasn't going to tell because her own neck was on the line. He could have gotten by with it. He could have looked at it as, man, I need you know, some, some compensation for all the grief that I've had. But when she threw herself at him, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? It was all about his personal relationship with God. And I can guarantee you that kept me straight. I remember going to um, a Christian school in Kansas City one time and I spoke and there was 500 kids in in this Christian school. And they gave me a pamphlet about their Christian school. And one of the main things on the front page was positive peer pressure. And they went into great lengths talking about how kids are so dominated by peer pressure. And so what we have is positive peer pressure. Here, seeking God is cool. And this will motivate your kid to serve God. And that's not 100% wrong. A parent nowadays needs every tool that they've got. So I'm not saying that that's totally wrong, but they were making that like the nail on which everything else hinged. This is what's going to prepare your child. But that's, that's the wrong motivation. To get your kid to do what's right because it's popular, you're still teaching them that you know what? It's all about acceptance. And if you take them out of the positive peer pressure environment and send them to Vietnam where you're... I was the only one out of 200 people in my uh, company that didn't have sex with the prostitutes and and take the free booze that the government gave you and do dope. I'm the only single person out of 200 and something people. And uh, you know what? If you get taken out of a positive situation and put into a negative situation, most people would crumble because they were trained to do what is popular, what everybody else is doing. That's the wrong motivation. You need to go a layer below that and come all down to personal relationship. And that's what it's all about. And that's what the Holy Spirit will always do. If you go out and lie and hurt somebody, you know, the Lord will come back and say, why is it that you need to lie and do these kind of things? Well, look what they did to me. Well, aren't I enough? Isn't my approval of you enough. Why do you have to have everybody else's approval? It'll all come down to just personal relationship. Why aren't you believing on Jesus? The Holy Spirit is not here to make you guilty. It's always a positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will go beyond the surface and deal with the root of things. And I'm just, I'm running out of time, man. I hadn't even gotten started good. So let me go back over here to John 16. And the next verse in verse 10 it says of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Here's the second thing he convicts up. And let me just say that most people just immediately translate this into their religious system. They say that the Holy Spirit's going to convict you and show you the sin that you did and that, you're un, that you've done this wrong. And then he'll show you that you're unrighteous. This doesn't say that the Holy Spirit convicts you of unrighteousness. It says he convicts you of righteousness. That's important. Once the Lord shows you that what's really wrong with what you've done isn't the fact it's going to give you AIDS, it's going to do this, it's going to do this. You just aren't in relationship with God. God loves you. Come back into relationship. Trust Him. Rely upon Him. Don't turn to these other things. Then after He's shown you that you've done something wrong and that you aren't in relationship with God the way you should be, 
You know what he'll do the next thing? He'll say, but you're still righteous. Even though you've done something wrong, you're still in right standing with God. It's by grace. It's not by works. And he will build you up instead of tear you down. And instead of making you feel guilty, he'll show you, but you're still the righteousness of God, even though you've acted like a total jerk, even though you've done everything wrong. I love you. You're in right standing with me. It's based on faith and not on... on, I mean, it's based on faith and grace, not on works. It's a positive ministry. And yet, how many of you have ever heard somebody stand up in your church and say, you know, I was just not seeking God. I wasn't doing everything right. And I was feeling guilty and condemned. And yet, the Holy Spirit just convicted me that I was righteous and that God still loved me and showed me how good... Probably most of you in here have never heard anybody stand up in church and give a testimony like that. But I bet you every person in here has heard somebody stand up and talk about, man, I was doing this and the Holy Spirit just nailed me and made me feel so guilty and so unrighteous. Probably every one of us have heard somebody testify of that. See, we think that that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But instead, it ought to be the opposite. We ought to be having people stand up in our church and say, you know what, I just wasn't seeking God. I wasn't doing what I should and the Holy Spirit showed me that I needed to be in more relationship. But you know, he just told me how much he loved me and that I'm righteous even though I've done everything wrong. That's what this is talking about. He convicts of righteousness. And why does he convict of righteousness? He said, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What does that have to do with it? Because when Jesus was here on the earth, he took a woman taken in the very act of adultery. Instead of stoning her, he says, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. He went into publicans. He went into sinners. He ate with them. He associated with them. He was constantly showing God's love and acceptance for people even when they didn't deserve it. Now that we can't physically see him, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convince us that God loves us even when we don't deserve it. And you know what? This is what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in our life. But most of us have accepted the Holy Spirit as the condemner, as the accuser. And that's what we think. And because of that, we actually have allowed our own hearts to condemn us, or Satan to condemn us, and we have stamped the Holy Spirit on that and credited the Holy Spirit with these feelings of guilt and condemnation and failure and embrace that. And Satan loves it because, man, that way we'll never rebuke those feelings of guilt and condemnation. We think that this is the Holy Spirit reproving us. The Holy Spirit doesn't reprove you like that. He goes to the root and tells you that it's all about your relationship with God. It'll be a positive thing. And in the midst of it, he'll say, but you're still righteous. Man, God loves you. You didn't lose your righteous position. And then look at the next verse. It says of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. This isn't talking about your judgment unless you repent. It's talking about the prince of this world is judged. So the Lord will show you that, you know what, you aren't trusting me in this area. You aren't depending upon me. I love you. I long to have greater intimacy, greater relationship. Why are you substituting this thing when I should be the one setting you free? And then, lest you get condemned over it, he'll say, but I love you and you're righteous. Your right standing with me isn't based on your performance. And then, when the devil starts making you feel like judgment is coming your way, the Holy Spirit will turn around and say, nope, it's the devil who's judged. Amen. The devil is the one who is under condemnation. When Satan is trying to condemn you, just turn around and remind him of his future. If he's telling you what God's going to do to you, just tell him what God's already prescribed for him. Go to telling him. And the Holy Spirit will be there to show you that you're the one in authority. The devil doesn't have the right to condemn you. So if you lump all of these three things together, this is a super positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's not making you feel guilty and condemned. 
Uh, man, if I had more time, First John chapter 3 says, if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. That shows that your heart can condemn you. You can feel condemned when God has nothing to do with it. God is greater than your heart and knows all things. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Man, God is not the one that condemns you. Romans chapter 8 around verse 31 and 32. Who is he that shall condemn us? It's not Christ. He's the one that died for you. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who now ever lives to make intercession for you. There is zero condemnation. Condemnation is a big, long word. It's become a religious cliche, but basically the word condemnation uh, is like when you condemn a building. You mean it's unfit for use. You can't use it. You can't occupy it. It's unfit for use. If you feel unfit for use, then you're condemned. And God is never the source of that. Yes, sir. Does that relate to 1 John 3 and verse 9? It says, no one, born, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. Well, to me, that's a, that's a separate teaching. It's talking about your spirit is the part of you that cannot sin. Your flesh can sin. But your spirit cannot sin. I teach on that in spirit, soul, and body. You guys miss my spirit, soul, and body teaching in here, but it'll it'll come back around, amen. But that's that's really good. Um, but that's a separate thing from what I'm talking about. Right here, your the Holy Spirit is not condemning you. It's a positive ministry. Man, that's awesome. If you could understand this, it would change your relationship with God. It really would. And we have embraced. A lot of negative things, condemnation, thinking it was God because that's the way that religion is taught it. And it's not. It's detrimental. It's bad for you. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And so we ought to avoid that. And it really would help you if you'd get this tape set on um, the baptism. I mean, not, what am I thinking of? The po positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. What time is this class over? 25? Oh, I thought I was overtime. Anybody got a question or comment here on what I've been talking about? Yes, ma'am. I had a friend that was dealing with um, tithing and she'd learned the prosperity message and she'd almost made it so legalistic. Well, and she, she was like so distressed and told me, you know, because her husband wasn't so into tithing. And we had some difficulties and I couldn't tithe and now I'm going to stop all the blessings of God. And I'm like, wait, stop. But even in the prosperity message, mm -hmm. people get real... That's right. That's right. Like, and Pete and I were just talking about that. There is things that you have to do. You do need to give. You need to plant seed. But you need to avoid thinking that it's what I did that made this seed grow. No, it's totally the blessing of God that made the seed grow. But there were things you had to do to plant it in the ground and water it and take care of it. But your faith is in God, not in yourself. Anybody else? Back to the horse and the mule and how you know, trying to keep the horse away. I thought about Samson and, you know, how he, you could say he despised the commandment of the Lord, but I also thought about myself and how you were teaching us about how, like, once you're emotionless, you get just in your emotions and let them run away with you. I was thinking about how Samson just let everything just run away with him, you know. He wasn't thinking about the commandment of God like we do. We'll get involved in something and just run for it, you know, it's like not giving any thought to the commandment or God or the Holy Spirit or anything, just like be led away and run with it. And then just how you said that was despising the commandment of the Lord. But Joseph, he didn't even have anything in him to run away with him. 
you know, because he exalted the commandment mm-hmm. of God above his own flesh. I'm, I'm sure he was human. See, with Samson, adultery was not really his problem. It was a problem, but if you just kept peeling back the layers, first of all, they were given a command not to associate with the people of the land and not to marry with them. But instead of putting God first place in his life and honoring God, he exalted his own wisdom above God. So that's where the whole problem started, is when he started falling in love with this Philistine woman. And then uh, the Philistines took his wife away from him and killed her and her family. And he got bitter. And he had bitterness in his heart and anger and all of these kind of things. So he had reject he first of all wasn't putting God first place in his life. He felt terrible rejection and then he had bitterness and anger and hatred and all of these things. He had a whole like a cesspool of stuff working on the inside of him. And when he went out and had sexual relationships with Delilah, you could sit there and say, well, it's this adultery that led him into the problem. But it was all of these things. And if you just keep tracing them back, they all come back to the fact that he didn't put God first place in his life. And he started indulging things and looking for a wife in places contrary to where God told him to look. It all comes back to that he didn't put God first place in his life. You know, I'm not here to condemn anybody else. I'm sure there's people in here that have been divorced and remarried. And you could sit there and cite things that go on. But you know, somewhere, if you just traced everything back, I can guarantee you somewhere in your past, you exalted your wisdom, you did things your way, and it really, all of your problems originated because you weren't in relationship with Jesus the way you should have been. You weren't trusting in Jesus. And that's, that's what the root of every one of those sins is. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.